Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again, um, continuing to support us on all of our new projects that we're doing. Uh, we've got a brand new cover song out for you guys. Yes. At the time of this recording, we still haven't seen how even our first one is done. Yeah. So, um, I promise the next time we record, we'll, we'll have an idea. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, we, it's still a bit of a mystery yeah, to us. Yeah, Lucas hasn't even heard the uh, final product. I haven't even heard the final product. It's not quite done yet. So. Yeah. But it's really exciting, uh, this one in particular, because it's it's slightly a different style just because of the way that we are as musicians. Yeah. Um, and we kind of stretch a little bit. That, that, will be a, that will be a recurring theme in, in an episode in the future as well. So um, I'm really liking the cover stuff. Yeah, it's been a really fun project, and um, we can hope to continue to do more. Mm-hmm. And a way that you can help us to do more is to go check us out on Patreon and become a patron. Because if you sign up for the $3 a month tier, mm-hmm. it's a pretty small amount. So um, you can get access to episodes early. How early? It's not going to be always consistent. Just whenever we get them finished, we'll throw them up there. So it's not going to be like episodes released normally where it's like on this day every week at this time it'll be available we'll just put them up whenever we have them done Mm -hmm. so you could be like two or three weeks ahead maybe four depending on how productive we are Mm -hmm. so um just always keep in mind with that um but go check that out there and then if you subscribe for the five dollar a month here then you're gonna get in access in the near future we don't have them ready yet but we're gonna start doing two cover songs per episode one that is going to be on our youtube channel Mm -hmm. and another one that is going to be exclusively for our patrons so Mm -hmm. we're doing this all for you guys so um go check us out there as time goes on i'm sure we're going to come up with more things like eventually i want us to have like merch that we can sell on there and uh, more exclusive content. We might like do some live streams, or maybe we'll do like an "Ask Me Anything" type thing, like they do on Reddit. <laughs> um, I don't know. We're gonna kind of just brainstorm and just kind of find out more things that we can do for you guys, um, so you can get even more bang for your buck. Yep. But kind of our whole purpose is to just move to being able to do this full time because um, this would be a pretty cool job to have. And we also are going to be doing so much stuff in the near future that we're going to have to be able to devote our full-time attention to it if we right. want to if we want to do everything we want to do. Right. So uh, go check us out there. But another place that you can check us out is on our social media pages, on Instagram and on Facebook. They're mostly identical, um, but Instagram is where everything originates. So we'll, we'll have discussions up. We'll talk about our episodes. We'll also, if anything crazy happens in the news world, we'll talk about that as well. And, um, yeah, just go get part of the discussion there. It's a good way for us to connect with you guys to see who all is listening. And also, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. We're on all the major ones, Spotify, um, on iTunes, and all that good stuff. And also, we're going to be starting to uh, put all of our episodes onto YouTube as well, so that you can also find these episodes on our YouTube channel. Yes, and see our faces if you haven't seen them already. Well, our faces <laughs> well, will be on the episodes. They you will, can, you'll they see will, our faces on the cover songs. They, they won't be there yet, but we'll Eventually, move towards that. Or 
It's all so, about taking steps. It's a there's a grandmaster plan that's stuck inside Lucas's head, and I've seen um, about two percent of it. Probably, so. yeah. <laughs> probably. But um, yeah. And then in um, close to a month, we are going to be starting our new spinoff series. Yes. It's something that um, we're probably going to record like in two or three weeks. Ooh, okay. No, not that soon. Not that soon. I didn't think so. I know that it's going to come out the last week of July. Okay. That's when it's going to debut to you guys. When we're going to record it, it's going to depend on when we get everything else recorded. we got about, like, four more yeah, episodes. Four more. Four more to record before we get to that point. But it is coming soon. I am starting my preliminary research on it. I'm kind of starting to do all my uh, investigative work. and uh, I'm really excited for that. I've, I've talked about what it's yeah. about, right? I mean, yeah, it's going to be different. You yeah. Know, we're going to look through the entire history of music, what music was like. Oh, we're going to... Before gonna, history and early history uh, we're gonna, first. And... We're going to be very meticulous. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take... I'm sure we're going to take years and years and years to move all the way through. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, especially since we're only doing one a month. Yeah. It's going to take a long time, but it's going to be a journey well worth the trip. Right. And all of those songs are going to go onto the playlist as well. Mm-hmm. So um, expect that in about a month, about more like a month and a half. Uh-huh. End of July. That's when you should expect that new spinoff series to start. Um, but I'm really, really excited about it. It's something I've been wanting to do like ever since I started this. <laughs> I was just kind of waiting for the right time to do it. Here we are. And here we are. We're almost there. So stay tuned for that. Uh-huh. And let us know what artists you want us to cover. What genres you want us to cover when we do this spinoff series. Mm. So, um, with all that plugging out of the way, um, we are recording this the same day we recorded our Foo Fighters. So I don't have any additional additional news stories mm-hmm. to talk about. And but that's okay, because we have a lot to talk about. Yes, we As do. always. This is... This is actually going to be a bit of a new format for an episode. It is. You're right. We're going to be doing something new that I want to do more often in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're when we're going to look at an artist. We're going to be looking at one very specific um, album. And I'm going to be doing this with live albums in particular. Because you can get songs from lots of different time periods because it's all in one show. This isn't going to be for every artist. We're no, no. one album for every artist, but no. this is a thing that may happen again. Yes. Oh, it will happen again. I already know which artist I am going to do it for. <laughs> okay. So um, we're going to be talking about Cheap Trick in okay. this. And we're specifically going to be looking at that legendary Live at Budokan record. At, at Budokan. Budokan. So... Let's talk about everything that led up to Budokan. So let's let's first talk let's talk about Cheap Trick. Well, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Yeah. How they get there? Who are they? So Cheap Trick is a Chicago band. I learned that from watching Sonic Highways uh-huh. because um, <laughs> their guitarist Rick Nielsen uh, played on um, the song that they recorded in the Chicago episode, which was uh, something from nothing. Hmm. And that's okay. that song freaking rips, by the way. Okay. Uh, and that's when I watched that. That actually, I didn't know what what artist I wanted to do after Foo Fighters, and that's actually what gave me the idea. I was just like, "Ooh, let's do Cheap Trick," <laughs> and so that kind of was just a straight line right there. Right. 
Um, so Rick Nielsen, he's kind of like the, um, he's the brainchild of Cheap Trick. The person I would, I mean... Or is Cheap Trick his brainchild, or is he the brainchild of Cheap Trick? I mean, I th- I want to say yes, but I don't, I w- I don't want to say he's exclusively the brainchild. But I mean, a lot of the, he's the main songwriter. You mean Cheap Trick is his brainchild? I'm going to say no to that because Wait, him and Robin Zander, who's the vocalist, they've known each other for... No, no, it was him and Bunny Carlos, who's the drummer. Mm-hmm. They've known each other since, like, grade school. Mm-hmm. And they played in various bands together and kind of acquired. So I want to say him and Bunny are kind of equal in starting the band. But, I mean, he's was kind of the main creative force behind the band. Whenever I was trying to figure out how you were phrasing that, saying, like, he started the band and found everyone. So that so okay, so then Rick is the brainchild of Cheap Trick. What do you mean by that? Um Like he exemplifies the idea of Cheap Trick. Like He's he's one of the ideas. I guess mm-hmm. I got confused on what you were asking me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we'll just we'll just simplify this here. So <laughs> Cheap Trick is kind of a um they're an interesting split in the two sides of rock and roll uh-huh. because you've got the two guys that actually look like rock stars, kind of the good looking guys, which mm-hmm. is Robin Zander, who's the vocalist and Tom Peterson, the bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, before their big break, it was strategic that they were the guys on the album covers because mm-hmm. they looked like, you know, they had long hair, they had handsome faces. Mm-hmm. Um, they wore the rock star clothes. Mm-hmm. They just looked like they would be in a cool rock and roll band. And then you have Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos, yeah. <laughs> who are the the two weirdos. I mean, you've got Rick, who's just, he looks like a really weird iteration of Angus Young's schoolboy motif, where he, he looks like a, like a little kid, like a really big, long, lanky kid mm-hmm. that just is kind of insane. Mm-hmm. And then you have Bunny Carlos that, like, literally looks like your uncle that teaches Spanish class. <laughs> I always thought that he looked kind of like um, uh, Mr. Incredible when he's in his office job. Yeah, but like, just like way less cool. But he looks just kind of like out of place. Yeah, he just he's <laughs> he's got the bad comb over and the glasses. And right. He's, you know, he wears a suit and tie pretty much, and uh, always is smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and he just you know he he looks like the complete opposite of uh, an awesome drummer. Particularly a drummer. Mm-hmm. But he's like maybe one of the most underrated rock and roll drummers ever. Because he's so good. And uh, it's just this its this interesting like push and pull in Cheap Trick. Where you've got like at the same, you've got this very presentable package of like the what I would say the power pop element of Cheap Trick. But then you've also got the weird oddball, almost punk-like energy of cheap trick as well mm-hmm. and you've got them two married together to form this really unique um flavor so what is the cheap trick the cheap trick is that um so i've talked before about how there's all this there was a lot of excess in the mid-70s mm-hmm. where you had you know it was led zeppelin and you know just writing all these long songs leaving leading these extravagant lifestyles, uh, musicians on stage performing 15-minute solos, 
Um, no problem with that. It well, a lot of people had a problem with okay. it at that time. <laughs> people were tired of it. It's the reason why those bands started to lose their um, their pull in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. It's the reason punk came in and new wave and and disco and all that stuff. It was it was a it was a response to what was going on. We've talked about it in Tom Petty and Blondie mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, if you guys have listened to those episodes, you'll kind of start to pick up that that's what birthed a lot of these bands. And Cheap Trick was part of that. Although they didn't fit squarely into a lot of the categories that were big at that time. But you can see, a, like, a, a punk feeling in them. Like, mm-hmm. I like when you look at Rick Nielsen... He, you don't immediately think punk, but that's always the feeling that I got from that. He was a, he had a punk attitude for sure. Mm-hmm. He he looked like he could have he acted like a member of the Sex Pistols, but in a weird boyish outfit. <laughs> like he was also he was always like eyes wide open, staring at the audience, like just like he looked like he might kill somebody <laughs> at all times. Oh my goodness. But at the same time, you kind of knew that he was, it was an act, that he was doing it for humor. It was mm-hmm. so exaggerated that you didn't ever think that he actually was insane. Mm-hmm. That he was just, you know, it was part of the character that he personified. But the whole thing was that they say there's no cheap tricks with us. You mm. know, the music speaks for itself. Well, what about the five-neck guitar? I mean, that'd be kind of a, that's, that's an expensive trick. Yeah, but it's, again, a lot of that stuff was birthed out of parody. Uh, yeah. It was making fun of, you know, the fact that Jimmy Page had a two-necked guitar. Mm-hmm. He's just like, well, I'm going to outdo you and get a five-necked guitar and just show you how stupid this is. <laughs> yeah. um, Bunny Carlos, his his drum solo was 30 minutes of him playing with drumsticks that were six feet high. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just like, you know, that was kind of, that was the, that was the attitude of the band is just like, you know... We're we're putting a big old magnifying glass on just how ridiculous rock and roll is right now. It's why they, you know, Rick and Bunny dressed the way they did. It was just like, we're going to come up with the stupidest personas you can think of. And, you know, we're still going to be a successful band. And so, I think it's a cool uh, ideology. Because... It was just a, it was a cool little... It's a parody. Yeah. But then they ended up becoming a legitimately great band. That's pretty funny. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So... So that's, that's the birth of Cheap Trick. There you go. Um, so... There are three albums that come out before Budokan. Mm-hmm. And so there's three albums that are, that they're pulling from, although we don't have any songs from the first album oh. on... On our list. I don't think any are on the Budokan record as a whole either. Wow. I know there's there's the third. And then, of course, there's obviously the second because they mm-hmm. say when they're playing one off the third. Yeah. Um, so, at this time, they actually were not doing near as well as they had expected. Mm. Um, they weren't getting any hits. Um, the American and European audiences were pretty much ignoring them. Um, I don't think they deserve to be ignored because you listen to those records and they're great records. Mm. It was just like, I think that their management, their label didn't know how to brand them. Again, like their album covers were featuring the two normal looking guys in the band. 
instead of showcasing um, the 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 attention grabbing characters, mm-hmm. or even you know having them all four of them were on the first album, but then the next two albums it's just it's just Robin and Tom, mm-hmm. and you can tell that that's what the label is trying to sell. It's just like this is a cool rock and roll group, and that really wasn't what they were about. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're just they didn't quite know what to do with them because also like their image did not match their sound and um they were just kind of at a crossroads but their kind of one little caveat was that they were really big in Japan. Mm-hmm. I mean like Beatles level big. They said wow. that they said that whenever they got off the plane uh, in Japan, that like it was about the same response that the Beatles got when they first landed in America. Wow! Like they they were considered like you know the 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 second coming. <laughs> oh my goodness! And so just like they oh went insane for them there. That second album in particular was just a huge hit. And so they're just like, well, I guess we'll just we'll go play for what's uh, where our audience is. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's just what you got to do. And so, um, it's just interesting that Japan, of all places, mm-hmm. and of, it's, it's made me wonder, like, why there? Like, what about Cheap Trick sound It's appealed to a Japanese audience? It's, I guess it's just one of those things that, that classic rock has always appealed to that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Just like the really extreme metal appeals to the South American countries. I, it's just like you can't explain it. I think it was the the strange image of the band as a whole, I think a plot like fascinated Japan because people in Japan are kind of weird. <laughs> My goodness. In a good way. Like, right, just like, right. like you no. look at, you look at their shows and their movies right. and you're just like in their art and, you know, obviously the anime and it's just like, it's definitely a lot weirder than what we have. Yeah. And so I could, I could see like, you know, like Rick Nielsen kind of becoming like this, like, really cool character to them maybe that's what it was and plus also it's because it's kind of just ironic it's just mm -hmm. different it's weird yeah (laughs) so yeah they go to the budokan which budokan was um a it was like a martial arts stadium hmm and So so is it one of those where they're in the center and they're playing to people around them no oh okay but uh I can't remember if shows had been played at the Budokan before. I know that there are some very famous Japanese live albums before, like Deep Purple's Made in Japan. Mm. Um, but I, I do, rem- I did read that there was a big kind of hullabaloo about them playing at that stadium in particular because it was considered a sacred, because apparently it had been used for martial arts competitions for like hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of considered like this this very, um, very ritualistic place. And then they're going to have a rock concert there. But, you know, it ended up being in their favor because do you know how many bands have recorded the Budokan since then? It's kind of become like a bucket list place wow. for people like, you know, it's like, you know, you've made it when you got to record a live album at the Budokan. Mm-hmm. So it's become a it's become a hot spot. And I would say that Cheap Trick was the big band that is was the first band that was like very famously known for playing at that specific place. Hmm. So this I guess you mentioned to me 
when we first listened that this was sort of their breakout record mm-hmm. in America. Yes. I mean, obviously they were very big in Japan, mm-hmm. and this made people realize that they're serious yeah. in America. This is not the first time that it took a live album to break a band big. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the reason why Kiss got big. Mm-hmm. Their first three albums flopped, but then Alive came out and they all of a sudden were, you know, household names. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that was pretty true for Peter Frampton. I mean, his that live record is will always be his biggest legacy. Mm-hmm. Almond Brothers Band, their live at Fillmore East was, you know, they were a little bigger before them, but that was like the album that made them like all time greats mm-hmm. in the eyes of the critics and the audiences. And um, you know, sometimes it, t- especially like if you have a producer and they don't know how to capture truly what the band is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it takes a live record for the energy and for the musicianship and for the charisma to really come across to an audience. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened with Cheap Trick. I listened to those first three records. They're good, but they don't really capture truly what Cheap Trick is about. Budokan does. And the album that comes right after Budokan that ended up being their like first big studio hit does. Because they're like, okay, now we know how to record this band. We know how to produce them. We know what things to let them do that'll play to their strengths. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Budokan was it was the it was their album for them. It's still their biggest selling album this year. It got um, uh, put into the national like the Library of Congress for preservation. Wow, for significant <laughs> for artistic significance. That's pretty cool. Which I don't know how many albums a year get picked for that or what the criteria is, but I, that's a big deal. I mean, just about every single Ozzy Osbourne album is in there. I know they have, like, stems of Randy Rhodes' guitar playing in there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they have a lot of stuff in there, but, like... Still. I'm not in the library. I know. Us, so... <laughs> it's so, pretty cool. Yeah, from that point on, they were, like, you know... But at the same time, I feel like they are still kind of a cult band. Because you'll, f- I feel like a lot of, especially people more our age, have uh, no idea who Cheap Trick is. Really? They're not the same level of fame as like Aerosmith or, mm-hmm. um, or Led Zeppelin or mm-hmm. Queen. Just you know, they never got that level of recognition. But at the same time, people know several of their songs, mm-hmm. and. It's in a way, it's kind of like they're still like kind of a working class band, mm-hmm. but the people that are Cheap Trick fans are die hard Cheap Trick fans. They'll swear up and down that they're the greatest band of all time. Sounds like Rush. <laughs> uh, but I would say even Rush is more popular than Cheap Trick. Right. Well, but everybody knows I want you to want me. Yeah. No. So anyway. So it's you know. They got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like in 2016, which was really cool. Wow. Okay. And, you know, they've got all the accolades that you need. And they've been the same four guys the whole time, too. No. No, they haven't. Um, but they didn't have any lineup changes before Budokan, did they? No. Um, their bassist left for a good chunk of the 80s, but now he's back and he's been back since then. And then right now, uh, for the last, like, seven or eight years they've had a pretty bad falling out with Bunny Carlos mm. so they've had another drummer but 
technically Bunny is still in the band because he holds a powerful legal position with the band. Like he's in charge of a lot of like their merchandising and archiving and all that. But he's not playing drums for them. But he's not technically out of the band. It's a weird situation. That is. But he did. Weird. He did briefly reunite with them to play for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Okay. Um, but uh, Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander have always been in the band. It's never been uh, any other guitarist or lead singer. I remember them being on. Uh, I think it was actually both of them were on live at Daryl's house. Well, Tom Peterson was there too. Really? Uh huh. It's all three of them, but but Bunny wasn't there. Bunny wasn't there. Oh man, they used uh, they used Daryl. Yeah, I watched that. That was a pretty great episode. Yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty good. Uh-huh. Um, I, I remember I referenced it a couple uh, a couple episodes ago, so I had to say that because mm-hmm. that's when I actually was first introduced to them. Okay. And um, I I didn't think anything of it. I mean, obviously because it wasn't I hadn't listened to the Budokan album, mm-hmm. and I really liked the, the, the stuff that you you put on this set. Um, and then of course I also remember like there was some music video that they had that my dad was obsessed with and hmm. I can't remember what it was, but it's none of the songs that we have. Yeah. I'm sh- uh, Yeah. Cause so. music videos weren't really popular until right. the eighties. So by the way, this, uh, this live album came out in 78. There you go. Which is crazy considering the guitar tone. Mm-hmm. It's pretty advanced. It's, it sounds like a, a real like, almost mid-80s, like, thrash tone, to Rick, some extent. Rick Nielsen is a, is a, not only is he an incredible guitar player, but he is, like, a, like, an authority in, like, gear and guitars, and just kind of, like, you know, getting the right sounds, and just mm-hmm. that side of it. Yeah, it, it, it sounds that if Slayer had, like, a load or reload, that's the tone they would use. Hmm. Because it's got, got that mid- punch but it's still got the grit to it interesting which is slayer tone um at least how i understand it uh-huh uh, thank goodness they never made a load reload <laughs> that, that would have been a weird would have been terrible oh my goodness all three of the other ones made their version of load reload yeah yeah no we don't need to talk about megadeth's versions of load reload Ooh, yeah wow okay anyway back to cheap trick yes their guitar tones are great um, and then they're drumming, Bunny's drumming mm-hmm. on this album. Yeah. It's, it's got the nuance that you have from that nineties kind of alternative stuff, uh-huh. but it's definitively rock. Yes. And I like that. That's the kind of drumming I like. He is such an underrated drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, he hits it so hard, but at the same time he has so much feel. Um, just the little nuances that he slips in there. Like, he can swing really well, um, and everything just is right in the pocket, right where it needs to be. And um, dissecting his drumming to play for our cover song was Mm. a pretty fun... Yeah, and I didn't notice that until I went back to mix it, and I was like, wow, there's like little add-ins with the snare drum here that are just nothing flashy, Mm -hmm. but it adds to kind of like the push and pull of the rhythm. Yep. I loved it. Oh, I loved it. Another person that's really underrated is Robin Zander as a vocalist. Yes. I feel like not near enough people talk about him. He has such a good voice, especially when he switches to more of that pop side, mm-hmm. and he uh, and he kind of has that smoother tone to his voice. It's so good. 
I think he really shows off in the second song of this set the yeah. most. Um, and I listened to some of their album stuff, mm-hmm. um, particularly the album version of the song of the cupboard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not the same. Yeah. Him live, he like gets into it and like do weird like voicings that yeah are totally unorthodox, but they're just there for the show and the dynamics. Mm-hmm. He's a great live performer. Mm-hmm. And again, it just it kind of like I was saying, you've they didn't know how to capture that that side of them, which they sure did. Because uh, when Dream Police came out right after, you can hear uh, it's like he's got it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I love him as a vocalist, and he's also playing rhythm guitar. Right. It, it's a uh, the typical four piece heavy rock lineup. Mm-hmm. So. So, anything else? I, I want to get to the songs. Yeah, because I think we have a, we're going to have a lot to dissect yes, here. Yes, there is a lot to dissect. So, so um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be uh, talking about the six songs from this Live at Budokan record. So, stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Cheap Trick and their history before the Budokan live album. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we picked for this episode, specifically from this album. So for those of us who are new, well, not me, but for those listeners who are new, Lucas, could you explain what do we mean by these six songs? So in a normal episode, because it's a little bit different, um, I'm going to pick six songs that are the best representative of what this band is about. Um, I'm not necessarily picking the six most popular, or the six, what I think are the six best songs, or even my favorites. Rather, I'm picking, if you've never listened to Cheap Trick before, this is the best set of songs to start yourself with. Plus, I try and sequence it in a way to where there's an emotional flow from start to finish, and that there is a, um, you have a cathartic experience at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, with this episode, it's a little different because, again, I'm pulling from one record, but I still picked the six songs. I had to kind of just cut the album down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but I actually kept everything in sequence order. So I didn't, I didn't, I just cut out songs in between that order. I'll be curious to see what actually comes after what. Yeah. Um... But if you want to listen to these songs, there's a link in the description of the episode where you can listen to the Spotify. So go check that out. And let's go ahead and get started with, I think, one of the best, like, songs about just, like, <laughs> like an, it's an introduction song. Right. It's just, it's literally written just to, to get things kicked off. It's mm-hmm. called Hello There. Hello There. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready to rock? So this is, I mean, what, it's like two minutes, maybe tops? Yeah. Of just them kind of saying, hello there, here's the show, we're going to play songs, and um, there's some jamming and whatnot. whatnot. Mm-hmm. 
so um, the idea for this is very obviously uh, taken from the Beatles on Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Okay. Have you ever listened to that record? I have not. So the first track on that album is them talking about themselves as that band. The whole concept of that band is that they are Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. And you've got the announcer saying, let me introduce to you the Sgt. Pepper's. And they're like, we hope you enjoy the show. We're Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. And then at the end of the album, they have a closing where you're saying, we thank you for listening to the show, but now it's time to go. Mm-hmm. And so you can definitely hear that they pulled from that. Mm-hmm. But Hello There um, was on the was the opening track to their second album in color. So mm. it wasn't just a live song, but it's very obvious that they wrote it so they could use it live. Right. And they opened every single live show with that song. I, I mean, mean how to. could you not? You got to. And also, it's a song that I could never see you getting tired of because it's just got so much energy to it. Mm-hmm. It's also short, and that helps. Yeah. If you have a shorter song, it, it kind of leaves you wanting more. Mm-hmm. Especially kind of that change-up that they have with the guitar line. Yeah. I like that part uh-huh. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there is... In the late 90s, they made an attempt to re-record the entire In Color album. Mm-hmm. Because they said that they didn't get to record it the way that they originally wanted to. And that this way was going to be kind of their way of kind of actually bringing forth the vision they originally had. But for reasons that they've never gone into, it was never finished or released. Mm-hmm. But there is a finished version of Hello There out there. Because it was actually on uh, Rock Band 2. And it was like the uh, the song that plays in the opening credits of the game. And that version is actually my favorite version of the song. Because the guitars are really thick. Robin's voice is really aggressive, but at the same time really sharp and melodic. And everything just sounds really big and bombastic. But the Budokan version is pretty great too. Oh, yeah, and... Yeah. We get a gnarly Bunny Carlos drum solo at the end. Yes, I was going to talk about that, yeah. Where most throughout this album, he's laid back because that's just the way the music is. Uh huh. But he gets that moment where he can just... Tom fills whatever, mm-hmm. I don't even know, you're the he just, he just gets it out right at the beginning of the show. <laughs> and then he's good for the rest of the show. Uh, well, there's a... There's an, couple more moments we'll talk about right said where he kind of lets loose a little more for the most part um he's pretty good this song is just an introduction song i mean there's not much to it Mm -hmm. you know i think we should spend some more time on the next song okay then let's which is big eyes yes big guys big eyes which is probably why he says it that way (laughs) so this is also off of the second album in color it's actually i didn't do this on purpose I just, this was the song I wanted to do next. Um, A lot, a big reason why I picked some songs was to try and avoid, because he does a lot of, for some reason they put him introducing the next song at the end of the previous song, Mm -hmm. which I wish they didn't do that on the track listing. Yeah. Um, But the reason I picked this one is because I could just go straight into it and not have, you know, um an awkward transition, but this is actually what comes after Hello There on the In Color album. I figured, because there wasn't kind of that pop, 
you know, that you'd have mm-hmm. when, you, when you'd have crowd noise and then crowd noise that wasn't connected, you know, mm-hmm. um, which you can hear through some of the transitions. Um, but that's the thing, it's not off thread on the Budokan record. Wait, what? It's off, it's that, it's like that on the actual studio record. It's, on the studio record, it's, hello there, big eyes. But on Budokan, I cut off a track in between mm. those two. I mean, maybe it was just drowned out by the kick drum, I don't know. Because it does start with that kick drum, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Which I think also was a good transition to go from the drum solo to a drum intro. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah. let's. So you were eager to talk about this song. So yes, I was eager to talk about his vocals on this. Song. Yes, um, and the fact that he could have sang this. I don't know what it sounds like on the album. I haven't heard the album version, but he could have sung it normally. But there are some points where he kind of does like, you know, and he'll like mm-hmm. he'll ease into the word a little bit, or he'll kind of sing it like over exaggerate it, like Dave Mustaine the word, you know. <laughs> This is, this is pre-Mustang. You know, yeah. And you can hear his jaws clenched or it's like wide open or whatever. And he's uh-huh. over-exaggerating things. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, on the studio it's much more reserved. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I mean, it's still kind of got that dark menacing. Because that guitar line is pretty, mm-hmm. uh, pretty threatening sounding. Oh, it's pretty cool. What's I don't know if is, is that just in the minor scale? It kind of almost sounds like it's a little bit something else. Um, it's it is in the minor scale, but he's going from the minor seven to the five. Okay. And so that's just that's a thing that you. It sounds like maybe there's like a there's a, f- a flat note in there or something. Oh yes, no, because something it'll, it'll, it'll start with the um it's in the blues scale. It's starting with that minor seven going to the five, and then it's using the the flat five in that next riff. Okay. So that would be it, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, this this song has a good. Again, this is kind of the song that I feel like create or uh, pulls from that punk mm-hmm. side of them, to where it's you know it's still got kind of those pop hooks, but it's not like a bright pop song, like not like a lot of the ones that they're known for. It's got that little hint of danger, which is something that people don't talk about a lot in Cheap Chirp songs, because mm-hmm. they, they always like to kind of inject that little bit of, like, there's just something a little off about it, just kind of like Rick Nielsen, <laughs> which, I mean, he is the main songwriter, so that would right. make sense. Um, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward song. Mm-hmm. The, the performances are really good. Um, there's that, that fake-out ending at the end where mm-hmm. you think it's going to end, and then it comes right back in for about... 10 more seconds. Mm-hmm. And then, do you have anything else to add about I, this? I like the fact that um, they have uh, one section that will cut out. I mean, we just we just talked about Foo Fighters, right? Mm-hmm. Where you'll have those dynamic moments where some instruments will drop out. And, but the instruments don't drop out. They just lay back so something else can take center stage. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like the, like the second half of like the third verse or something. Where the guitars are just barely audible. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And that's that moment when I think that his voice, like, he goes just, like, wild. Mm-hmm. But like a like a restrained wild. Kind of like you have some tiger on, like, a chain. Uh-huh. But you have it in control. It's yeah. It's, like, under your... I don't, I don't know how to ex- explain it. I, I you understand know, but, what you're saying. But uh, <laughs> hopefully the listeners understand what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But um, not my favorite song, but I really liked it. Hmm. 
Okay. I, I really like all the songs on this. I'm list. really interested to hear what your favorite will be. Yes. Well, you have anything to say about this song? Uh, I mean, it's a. I, there's not a lot to talk about it. There's there's yeah. there's, a, there's some songs coming up that I'm gonna have a lot to say. Yeah. So especially this next one. This next one, you mean my favorite one? Ah, <laughs> this was this was close to my favorite. Yeah. This was my favorite one that I hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. That I was just like, ooh, I. I'm so glad I found this. Song. It's a cover, isn't it? Uh huh. Ain't that a shame? Yep. That it's a cover. That is a. It's a. Everyone is covering "Ain't That a Shame" at some point. That's that's like one of the first ever rock and roll songs mm-hmm. from Fats Domino. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of almost like you know, it's when people have their their '50s covers that kind of become like their staples. Like ELO has their cover of "Roll Over Beethoven" and um. I'm sure I could think of some others. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's... This rendition is really cool, especially because of that long extended intro. Mm-hmm. So this is another chance where we get to really see how great of a drummer Bunny Carlos was. Or still mm-hmm. is. He's, he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> not was. I guess because he's not in Cheap Trick anymore. Yeah, well... He was definitely a good drummer for this album. Yes, he was. Um, he said that for this song that he actually was pulling specific drum fills from his favorite drummers. Mm. And I was able to pick out one of them. One of them is from the drum breakdown and won't get fooled again. Uh, Which you reference that song to me a million times a day sometimes. Yeah, because it's one of my favorites. Because it is good, yeah. Uh, Especially the drum track on it. Maybe the greatest drum track ever put to tape. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, that... you can hear that and he's just got the kick drum pulsing the whole time i think he throws in a john bonham fill in there uh i think there's a beatles fill he just said that he was just going through was like what are what are the greatest drum fills of all time and i'm just going to kind of like inject them in here to this intro but the way he plays it you don't pick up on it it just sounds like he's just kind of noodling around but then when he said it i was just like okay i think i'm starting to Figure out where some of these are from. And there's some also some weird noise coming out of like the left channel or something. I want to say it's one of the guitars doing like some strumming where it's like a or whatever. Yeah, it is. You know what I'm about? yeah. Rick Nielsen does that a lot where he will um, he'll just he'll mute the strings and just kind of almost just kind of. It sounds like a like a synth drum. I really like it. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure it's the guitar. So um, this intro is what really shows how tight of a band they were at that point, because you cannot pull off an intro like that unless you just instinctively know where to go. Because Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like they're like, okay, for this many measures, we're going to sit on this part, and then for this many measures, we're going to do this. It feels very natural and almost kind of improvised, that they just just know where to go. Mm -hmm. And Um, and I was not expecting them to go from that intro to the song. Yeah. But when it when they jumped into the song, it's like, ooh. Because the instruments have a very minimalistic, uh, um, I guess, purpose for the verse, mm-hmm. um, where, where they don't play the whole time. None of them play the whole time. It's very just hit, all of them. Yeah. And so having that long extended intro where you start with the drums and then you come in with the bass and guitars and then it builds and builds and builds and then it's a drop in the amount of 
instrumentation, but it's not a drop in volume at all. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. Yeah. So also, uh, Rick really shreds on the intro. He does. He does. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't tech death shred, but he, yeah. He he seventies shreds. He seventies shreds. There's there's good seventies shredding, and this album has a lot of it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's a really good song. So yeah, so then we yeah we get into actual meat of the mm-hmm. song, and I really love Robin's vocals on this. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, you like can, the way he pronounces some of the words. He and, yeah, he is he is opened up into being a vocalist mm-hmm. um, for the show, and he's pronouncing you know words in weird ways and um, definitely putting his own spin on things and being a character. Yeah, kind of like They're, how Rick Nielsen's face is doing the show. His voice is doing. The show. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting. Uh, take on that that it's like you it's easy to think that robin isn't playing a character because he's the normal looking guy but mm-hmm. he, his voice really does mm-hmm. that's that's the character mm-hmm. i never really thought about that before i didn't mean it like that but i i mean yeah i meant it exactly like that yeah <laughs> I, i'm so smart um and then yeah when throughout the rest of the song it's just it's very tasteful the the, the big thing that I pull from this song is that just the band is so together. Yeah. They, they're they feeding off of each other. Mm-hmm. They're supporting each other when necessary. Um, you know, just the way that they all coordinate for those hits on the verses. Yeah. And letting the guitars breathe during the in-between sections. And um, the outro, it's just, it's all so tight. Right. It's, it's like, I hear that, I was just like, Man, I want to be in a band that's tight like that. Yeah, to be able to do to yeah. do songs like this that rely so much on just band instinct. Mm-hmm. But then it's also that kind of, I guess, quote unquote, solo—not solo, really—section um, where it's a it's a jam section. That's what it is, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll play like the main verse riff. But then every different guitar player, including the bassist, will play a different lick. Uh huh. You know, during the outro. Um, and I think also Bunny does some drum fills. Yeah. And since there's yeah, and and each since there's four of them, they can do the repetition of four, and they just go around twice, and they play different licks, and I like that. Yeah. It's really cool because it's like they are enjoying the music that they're playing. It's probably to the point of. Every time they play this song, they're trying to like one up their last one mm-hmm. and try to make each other laugh on like the weird things that they can do. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I can't see anything. That's to what it sounds like because it to me it's just like you can hear that they're that they just have a lot of um, they have a lot of creativity and mm-hmm. experimentation to mm-hmm. where it's especially in the guitar. Like just some mm-hmm. of the stuff he comes up with is just like yeah, this is a guitar player that is completely confident in what he's doing, and he just knows how to just guide the song exactly where he wants it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this song was never on their albums. This is an ex- a song they exclusively played live, right. but they did play it at their rock and roll induction ceremony. Ooh, okay. It kind of has become one of their their iconic songs, even though it was never on an album. It was just on the boot can. Mm-hmm. And that in of itself allowed it to become one of their legendary songs. I mean, this is the song that I mentioned to you that, like, wow, the tone is so heavy, mm-hmm. you know? And then 
at the end of the album, you're like, oh yeah, this was recorded in 78. It's like, what in the world? Because it's this type of technical, I guess not technical, it's, it sounds so 80s compositionally. Hmm. Because of the of the way I don't know maybe it they kind of they kind of were forebearers to the eighties maybe it doesn't and we really get to the eighties in, in future songs but we'll get there mm-hmm. um, but it it sounds like it transcends the music of their time yeah it does and I think that's a reason why this particularly this album has just stood the test of time mm-hmm. it's why it's being put into National Library of Congress whatever it's yeah. called um. So, from this point on, there are actually no breaks in the album. Everything flows naturally. Wow. And that was by design because I needed these transitions to work. Mm-hmm. Because you, if you don't have Ain't That a Shame, you miss him saying, I want you to want me. me. Which is like one of the most iconic parts of that song, <laughs> is the way he introduces it. Whenever yeah. they play it on the radio, they always put that right. little part at the beginning. Right, and they play this version too. Mm-hmm. This um, is this song has such an interesting history. Let's let's go through the history. So this is also off of that second album in mm-hmm. color, um, but this song sounds nothing like the live version, the the studio one. Mm-hmm. It's slow. It's a like a country ballad. Like, it's like, do get to do my want you to want me. Do, no. Do, 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 do. No. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, my goodness. I listened to it, and I was just like, because was, this was also when I had the, the made the decision. I was just like, you know what? Let's make a whole album of Budokan, because I can't switch from studio to live. But I have to have I Want You to Want Me. But I can't use the studio version at all. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, but I can't like start with studio songs and then move to all of a sudden now it's live. Um, so that's when I was just like, what if I just did everything from Budokan? That's kind of where that idea came to me. Mm. So, um, um, This is their biggest song. Yes. It's definitely their highest well, charting song. It's their biggest song as when people think Cheap Trick, they think of this song. Yes, I'm gonna. We're gonna actually talk about what's probably their biggest song. I'm gonna double check their um, their chart positions because I want to say that this is the um, the hardest or the highest charting single they ever had. But uh, yeah, no, I mean this song's played all over the place. I almost was surprised at the amount of different parts that were in this song because the only part that i knew was the chorus mm-hmm. you know and, and actually, I, yeah it's actually their second highest they do oh. they actually get a number one hit late in the 80s oh look at that which we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it um this is their second highest charting single the live version specifically <laughs> uh got up to number seven mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the live version is so, so much better. Mm -hmm. So the reason that they pulled it out is, like, they were, like, embarrassed of the song. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, the song kind of charted well in Japan. Mm -hmm. And and Japan loved it, so they're just like, let's just, let's rock it up a little bit so we actually enjoy playing it. And then it ends up becoming, like, kind of like their 
most well-known hit. Right. Like there's their signature song. And I like I like the little thing that the audience does mm-hmm. when he says didn't I didn't I didn't and they I see go, you and wham, they go wham wham wham. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I like it when the audience has like their own part to to sing to a song uh, yeah you know it's really fun when you get to be in that audience right and, and metallica is one of those bands that i think of you know because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are on that are not on their studio songs mm-hmm. like for example the wow 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 part you know yeah it's probably not on the album no it's I mean, not yeah I, I figured and but now every time they play it live i'm sure everybody does that oh yeah it's it's just it's kind of an unwritten rule right so just like when you go see Iron Maiden, you have to sing along to the opening guitar line. Mm-hmm. You, no one tells you you have to. You just know you have to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um. So yeah, this this song is actually my favorite Cheap Trick song. Wow. Okay. And I'm a little disappointed. Why? I'm a little disappointed. It's just there are great parts to this song. Okay, like the like the intro is pretty good. The didn't I see a crying part, but the I want you to want me whole chorus section. It's just, mo- melodically, it's so good. It's, it's so just, catchy. And it's too catchy, you know what I'm saying? There's no such thing as too catchy. At least yeah, not to me. There is. Because here's the thing. This is this is not a I mean, at its core, this is not a rock and roll song. This is a pop song. And I've always talked about how I love pop music, specifically oh, the pop go. music of this era. <laughs> I mean, their primary label is a power pop band, mm-hmm. which was a movement that was got really big pretty much thanks to Cheap Trick in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, but this is, this is, I think, like a signature pop, power, power pop anthem. And I just love late 70s pop music. And so when I hear this, that's what I'm thinking of. And I'm just like, oh, this is such a well-written song. Um, which just goes to show that, you know, they had the the skeleton of a great song when they originally recorded it. I'm sure they probably didn't get their way with how they wanted it, which is, again, why they made an attempt later on to re-record the album with their intended vision. But I think, you know... The great song was always there. It just took them kind of retooling it and, you know, upping the tempo, making it more of a rock song than a country song. Mm-hmm. But I I literally love every single molecule of this song. Uh, every, all the drum parts, all the guitar parts, all the okay. vocals. I don't know about every single molecule for me personally. And you don't, you don't have to. And that's okay, but... There are some really good parts, of but I'm gonna. I was, I, but I'm gonna explain why I like it. That's why I was. That's right. where I was going. Right, and you know, a lot of Cheap Trick fans share that sentiment because mm-hmm. you know it's become like such a monster hit for them. That's mm-hmm. how they started off their uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame well. uh, induction concert. They they do their acceptance speech and then they get up on stage and he just looks at the audience and he goes I want you to want me and the whole crowd goes crazy. So now we have two songs that are completely reimagined by this album. I wouldn't say because ain't that a shame? Oh, ain't that a shame? I thought you were talking about what we're doing next. I was no. like, I don't feel like that's no, that was that was completely reimagined. No. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like they're covering themselves. Yeah, and yeah. just putting a new spin on it. But I mean. You know, it works. I love I love all the guitar 
work in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually deceptively pretty insane. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also took a stab a couple times at trying to play along to the drums with it. It's actually really tough. Wow. Like getting that swing down. Just getting it to where it swings, but at the same time grooves and is right in the pocket. It's really tough. And um, Bunny just knocks it out of the park on this song. Just overall, and you don't have to agree with me, but I just I think that this is this is their masterpiece song. Okay. Okay. And so when the song ends, he starts to talk about this uh, first song off their new album. This is the first song of our new album. It just came out this week, and it's called... Surrender. This, this is the one we covered. Yeah, this is the, <laughs> the song that we covered, which... Yeah. If I had gone my way, we'd have done I Want You to Want Me as well, but... Yeah, but this is a good song. This is a great I'm glad song. we covered it, too, because the cover's turning out pretty nice. So. I'm really excited to hear it. And <laughs> I'm really excited for you guys to hear yes. it as soon as you're done listening to this episode. Or you can listen to it right now, either one. Yeah, you can as pause. long as you come back to it. You can pause and come back. <laughs> um, so Surrender. This is the song that surprisingly didn't chart that well, but has become like their most well-known song. Yeah, this this song actually, like the Rolling Stone called it the ultimate teen, like, I can't remember the word they used. It wasn't angst, but it was like teen rebellion, not rebellion. Whatever it it's is. It's not a rebellious it's song. It's not a rebellious song. It's a, It's a... It just it captures anthem. That's what it is. Yeah, anthem. That's what I was gonna say. But then I, this word you're saying, I was just like, that doesn't mean anthem. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So because we covered the song, there's like a, a lot more that we can kind of go yeah. into on the composition. Oh yeah, no, there is. So this is the song that Rick Nielsen will bring out his five necked guitar for. Okay. So that's this is kind of this is the song where he brings out that big boy. Mm-hmm. He actually does not play all five necks. That figured. I mean, three of the necks are exactly the same. Actually, he. Uh, I I watched a video of him breaking down what it was. They all are slightly different. Uh, I think there's like different tunings on them. Oh, okay. One of them's a twelve string for sure. Right. One of them's twelve one string. Of, one's fretless. One's fretless. He doesn't ever play the fretless one because that's like at the very bottom. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's like, I think some of them have like just different tones. And, but yeah, that's the, that's the song that he'll bring. I, I'm sure he'll he plays it for other songs, but it's like that's the one consistently he brings that out for every night. Mm-hmm. That thing is so huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw a picture of like a or not a picture. I actually saw an actual replica of it at a pawn shop one time, uh-huh. and it was just like you couldn't you couldn't fit your arms around it. Yeah, <laughs> I saw I saw a video of his guitar tech trying to tune it. And I was just no. like, that looks like a nightmare. Oh, <laughs> tuning a twelve string. Number one is a nightmare, and then you have to tune four more guitars after that. Mm. Yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a no for me. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'm stick, sure, I'll stick with my six string guitar. I'm sure he's paid well. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> and I I wonder how much that weighs. I mean, he's got to have neck issues at this point. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't play for a whole concert, right? But I mean, still, you know, for a whole song, that's. It's yeah. A lot of weight. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, this song has multiple key changes in it. Yeah, and it's so. and it's a chromatic walk up. Right. And the the this is what really took me by. I knew there was two key changes. 
Because mm-hmm. I knew that that when we get to that third verse, that or one key change. There's technically two key changes, mm-hmm. but there's three keys. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew about the one where it goes up on that third verse because that mm-hmm. one's pretty obvious. But I didn't realize that just for the intro, it's in a different key. They play. What is it in? Um, it's in like. Ooh, it's in B flat. I think it's in B flat. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. It's B flat, then B, then C. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, because I I I played it in my D standard guitar, so to me it was C C sharp D. Mm-hmm. But so it's kind of confusing to talk keys in standard tuning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this was actually my favorite song to put a bass track down for really? up to this point of the three we've done so far, because I got the opportunity to be really melodic. And just kind of add in just little tiny nuances. Mm-hmm. I don't do really any big like bass licks except for maybe like in the in between stuff like mm-hmm. the but and the very end, you know, because we we threw oh yeah, we threw a trash can at the end. I've I forgot about that. We didn't literally throw a trash can. No trash cans were heard in the making of this song. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, like I didn't hurt any. So I don't know what you were doing while you were doing your guitar parts. We had a good snare sound, so we didn't have to use a trash can. Yeah. <laughs> like Slipknot. Anyway, um, no, yeah. So the bass line was was significantly uh, simpler than I should say the other baselines that we've done so far for mm-hmm. our covers and so to hear those little nuances was pretty cool yeah because that's 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 actually what i'm used to playing on bass because i mm-hmm. play bass at church and that's kind of like i kind of felt that that was a lot more familiar because mm-hmm. i was just like i feel like that this is like a chord progression that we would play but then you know i would add in the things that i would normally add in when i'm playing there yeah and so it was just kind of my brain was already used to thinking in that way. And so whenever I got down, like, all of that stuff I added in was not on that recording. Mm-hmm. That was just stuff I came up with. Mm-hmm. Like, he normally just plays the verse just do-do-do-do-do. I came in with the boo-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, really? Yeah, I just, that was just something that I was fooling around with. I was just like, ooh, that sounds really good. I'm going to keep that. Yeah. And I felt like it added just this nice little extra uh, bounce to the riff. Yeah. To the verses. Yeah. Um, doing the drums was actually surprisingly fun as well. Mm-hmm. Doing stuff that's simple but dynamic, um, there's, there's just something inherently satisfying about it. Yes, playing the complex stuff, um, which the cover song we're doing next week is very, very complicated. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that was a different feeling of satisfaction of nailing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then... Doing a song like Surrender, where it's just, you know, it's just keeping everything together, um, it felt really good to hear it back and go, wow, that is solid. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I had to intentionally hold myself back for the guitar parts, because mm-hmm. I'm so used to, like, you know, Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen and, you know, all those guys, and trying to fit a lick in every square inch of the song, uh-huh. whereas this song wasn't like that. I mean... Even to the extent of the other songs previously on the Budokan record, mm-hmm. this one's so simple. Yeah, and so I got to I got the chance to experiment with um, putting acoustic guitars in there, which I think sound really nice and really different. Um, and then obviously, you guys listening to the episode will see. Um, 
Of course, that may change, So, but you guys know by now. So, <laughs> Great players don't leave simple playing behind when they become great. Right. If anything, they become great when they know how to masterfully play simply. Right. right. And, because... and that's something that I'm learning uh, intellectually, but I still mm-hmm. have to put in practice. So this yeah. is a good first step. <laughs> yeah, I, I already know that recording all these cover songs is going to grow us as musicians, not... I mean, we are going to grow when we have to play the really technical stuff, right. but I think it's going to be in these simple songs that we're actually going to see ourselves um, really refine our techniques. So, Like this one. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, the lyrics in this song were ones yeah. that I had never really dug into before because I actually didn't really understand what he was saying I know, a lot I, of I had to look into it too, and I originally thought it was like, Something about, like, his parents are getting divorced or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I... I always thought it was, like, mom and dad are, you know, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought uh, mommy's all right, daddy's all right means. But it, actually, he's saying, like, his parents are cool. Yeah. He's saying, yeah, mom's all right. Dad's yeah. all right. <laughs> they, they're a little weird, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're okay in my book. Uh, um, yeah, and, but and he marries it with the with the uh, GI generation lingo. Uh huh. So uh, I had to yeah. look up a lot of that terminology. What mm-hmm. the wax was. Yeah. And um, just kind of talking about how, like, kind of just you think your parents are just like these normal, boring, but then you're just like, oh, they were they were in the war, and <laughs> and oh, they listen to Kiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was kind of like uh, I, I caught up with some of my uh, family members recently, and particularly my aunt, and she's like telling stories of like her doing like different pranks in high school. I'm like, but she's studying get a PhD now in like biochemistry mm-hmm. or something. I'm like that's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> like I just I feel like this song cool. this like, song is all about that moment when you realize that your parents just were kind of badasses the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, but, um, you know, I like the fact that it, the course line was pretty much exclusively the root note. Yeah. And so it was very sing-along, it was very easy to sing with, mm-hmm. it was designed for the arena, whether they knew it or not, that's just what the song is great at, uh-huh. and it, it showed in the record. Yeah. Um. And then, of course, I, I can't talk about this song without talking about that 70s show. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> Cheap Trick, uh, they, they don't use that song, but they, they throw in that we're all all right mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. But Cheap Trick does do that song. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a pretty interesting edit that I learned about that they that the record label made them change one of the lyrics in the second verse. Oh. Uh, that line of, well, I had always heard that they recruited old maids for the war, that the wax recruited old maids for the war. Mm-hmm. But the original lyric was, the wax recruited old maids, dykes, and whores. Oh, my God. And the record label's like, no, you can't say that. <laughs> uh. Which is, which, I mean, you think about, like, record label would never... That would explain... Things because in the live version he says mommy's neither one of those, but he mentioned yeah. one thing. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. 
And so, I mean, the, they, the song was probably fairly new to them, so they were kind of trying to remember which version is yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if he sung it the original way live, and maybe they went back and edited it. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, and it also, the original lyric makes a little more sense with the mm-hmm. themes of the lyrics, just kind of like, you know... Well, I thought that, you know, they only hired, like, the weird people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mommy's not like that. Maybe maybe she's kind of cool. <laughs> uh. So, um, I also love the, the actual ending we get to this song as opposed to the studio version. Because the studio version just fades out yeah. on that we're all alright. And I've always loved the... Um, the ending to the live version with the ba da 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 Yeah, and they do it again, but with different voicing. Yeah. Now, you had said that you were alluding that this song was a real big indicator for what the 80s were going to sound like. Yep. So, what were you getting at? What was making you think that? I was meaning that we still have definite rock elements. For sure, but we're... Moving away from the uh, big eyes, ain't that a shame kind of old rock, mm-hmm. and now we're into the sing along arena stuff. Yeah, you know that, that you got the that keyboards you get with like Def Leppard. You got the keyboards know? doing those arpeggiated little. Right, exactly. Yeah, and and this was a very early. I wouldn't say it's the first indication, but it's a very early indication of where music was kind of going. It's it's what new wave was already starting to do. Right. Uh, I think that they definitely borrowed from that. You know, by that point, Blondie was already starting to do stuff like that and mm-hmm. the Talking Heads and all that, mm-hmm. the Cars. But yes, they definitely were show. They weren't as much arena bands though, where Cheap Trick was, and so they were purposing what New Wave was bringing to the table right. and putting it to arena rock and pop. Uh, but right. this, this is this just like I want you to want me. This is a power pop song. Right. And so, I mean, you've, it's, it's basis is pop chords, but, but used in I mean, it's all one, four, five, Mm -hmm. one, four, six, five. Yeah. But the key changes, I think is what gives it that extra little, um, nuance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've been using that word Mm -hmm. quite a few times this episode. Uh So, um, no, I, I really, really like the song. It was so close to being my favorite. I had to listen to the album version about... 200 times before I got it out of my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, happens, you know, many times. I did, that happened with Soundgarden and Black Hole Sun. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I ended up liking Spoonman more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, but then, right from this, we go into Good Night. Yeah. Which I think is a great way to bookend yeah. where we have Hello There and Good Night. So now, Good Night was not on any of their albums that was something that they created yeah. for live it's so kinda, like yeah so like in color it does start with hello there but it doesn't end with good night mm-hmm. whereas you know when the beatles did it they did have both of those and it's songs. pretty much the same music mm-hmm. but it's good night now ladies and gentlemen yeah you know? it's the end of the show and now it's time to go now it's time to go and so the drum solo at the end is when he's using those giant big drumsticks <laughs> that are like this big there's a video of him he he says that like after two shows, the symbols get completely destroyed. <laughs> and it's impressive that he is doing those big of fills with such 
huge awkward drumstick. He said they each weighed like 20, 25 pounds. Oh my goodness. You you sh- you would bust a drum head with those. He said that he didn't keep that up for very long because they yeah. had to keep going and buying drum kits. Yeah. <laughs> he said what they would do is they would just for that song, they would cart out a special drum kit that like they got at like a pawn shop. But he said even the effort of like going and trying to find a drum set every time they right. went to a city, they're just like, this is a little too much. Right. And so he ended up, uh, he got slightly smaller novelty sticks that just didn't completely destroy the drums every time. Mm-hmm. But he said it was good because it's like even people in the back of the audience could like see the big drum sticks. But, like, he's playing some... I'm just like, how is he doing that with those huge drumsticks? Because I've seen the video of him doing it, and he is Is he it. sitting down and using the kick pedal, too? Yeah. He's just he's just sitting wow. there, and the sticks, like, go way back. He's just like... Just, like, trying so hard to hit, hit all the drums. This is, this is probably actually the saddest song of the set. Because when they start it... And people are all like, oh, it's a new song. And then everybody suddenly remembers, oh, this is the bookend. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of just like, huh, well, bye. But it's the best way to end the set. It's, you can't end without it. I mean, uh-huh. when, it, when it came on, I looked to you and I was like, I know this song. And it's because you were remembering from <laughs> and, earlier. And, and then set. he says, good night. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, on the album, they do have one more song there, Encore. Right. Which is a really great song that we're going to do on another Cheap Trick episode. Okay. It's really good. It's got a really cool... It's a song I'm sure you all know. Yeah, because it was, it was actually their their biggest hit in Japan mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but I took that opportunity to have some fun with the bonus song. Which we'll get to in the next segment. Yes. So... Uh, I think that go ahead and wraps it up for for this segment. So yeah. we'll go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that bonus song that I'm sure that you all know. <laughs> and we'll give our final thoughts. So stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Cheap Trick, specifically Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. And just to refresh, the songs we talked about in the last segment were uh, Hello There, Big Eyes, Ain't That a Shame, I Want You to Want Me, Surrender, and Good Night. And now it's time to talk about our bonus song. So Grant, for those of us that are listening for the first time, what's a bonus song? Well, a bonus song. Well, let me tell you here. Let me tell you. (laughs) If it's your first time, a bonus song is a song from an artist that, for whatever reason, we're not going to give them their own episode, but we still want to talk about their music. Perhaps they're like a one-hit wonder, or maybe they're not that well-known. Maybe they don't just have that much music to talk about. Um, But they're related to the main artist in some way. So, this week's bonus song is... My Sharona! By... The Knack. I like this song. Yeah. (laughs) This is, I think, one of the best uh, bonus songs. This is another one that that if I could have chosen the bonus song to be my favorite, it would have been. 
So um, this, I kind of, I kind of had some fun with this because he. Mm-hmm. We end the last song with this next song. I'm sure you all know, and, and everybody knows this. Song. I feel like this is one of the biggest one-hit yeah. wonders of all time. I mean, it's gotta be, um, because this song was the number one song of 1979. Wow! On the Billboard 200. I mean, can you name another next song? Nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the reason why is because their first single got that big. Mm-hmm. Um, that song got played to death, and everyone hated them and that song by the end of it. Really? And it like oh pretty gosh. much just like killed the band. It was just they, you know, it's a different thing when you kind of build up to a big worldwide hit, but when you hit it right out of the gate. And it's not even just like getting a number one hit right out of the gate. That's impressive. But when you get the number one song of the year out of the gate, first off, your expectations after that are so staggering that yeah. you could never live up to it, ever. Right. And um, and it's just like people get sick of you. Right. Because it's just when it's the number one song of the year, that means it's like being played on the radio nonstop. It's being played literally everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And just you know, inevitably people kind of just turned on the neck within a year and were just like, no, we don't want to listen to you guys anymore. I, yeah, I guess I never experienced that, but this was one of those songs that I'd have on my homework playlist, you know? Uh-huh. When I was of in course, the song the song is very fondly remembered now, Yeah, but just at oh, the yeah. time. 79 was a weird year, because that's the year that all of a sudden everyone turned on disco mm-hmm. and just kind of like the whole regime of just kind of settling into what the 80s were going to be. But the reason I picked this was because this is also categorized as power pop. Oh. So. Okay. I I don't know what power pop is, but that's okay. So it's it's pop, but it's got the power of rock and roll. It's arena. It's got, it's, (laughs) it's, it's got the big guitars and the big vocals, which Cheap Trick has. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can hear similarities between what cheap tricks doing and what my sharona has right yeah um some something that i noticed more this time because i'd heard my sharona on the radio many times but i never ever like would sit down and listen to it Mm -hmm. i was actually like really blown away by the vocals on this song like mm-hmm. all of the all of the harmonies and and the woos, yeah, and the way that they're the my 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 woo <laughs> and. The song is just catchy as all. And the final chorus, too, when he does that kind of, ooh, which uh-huh. talked about in Big Eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, is the Knack two guitarists as well, or is there just um, one? Or? I want to say it's just one. Hmm. Maybe the singer does rhythm, but they only have, because there's only four guys in the band. Hmm. So obviously you've got one guy that's playing bass, one guy that's drumming, and I know that the bassist is not the drummer. Okay. The bassist is not the singer. So whether or not the... I can't tell you for sure if the singer maybe does rhythm. Hmm. But um, I know they don't have, like, two guys that only are the guitar players. I mean, that would make sense because I can't... I'm playing it in my head and I can't really hear a rhythm guitar during the solo. So. Mm-hmm. Which is a great solo. Yeah, let's talk about that solo. It's, a, it's the 70s shred. It's You're focused on the melody... You're not really focused on speed, but it's kind of cool if you're fast, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. You just kind of noodle around. Mm-hmm. Some guys are good at it. 
Um, for example, David Gilmore is great at just noodling around and finding the perfect notes every time. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of those guitar solos that it sounds like he's noodling around. But he's doing it really but fast. he's doing it intelligently, very quickly. It probably was multiple takes. He probably practiced up this to feels, it. This feels like a rehearsed solo. Like, he right. knew where he was going. Right, but it, it wasn't like, this is exactly what I'm going to play for sure, you know, kind of technical dream theater-esque, you know, mm-hmm. solo. Yeah. So, um, I liked it. I really am sad that my dad likes the abridged solo. Version. I don't understand. Because I, I don't get it. Guy like, have, makes the oh, weirdest choices. Right. It's like, I don't understand them. I would think Guy, that, if you're listening, I need you to explain this to me. Because like once every couple... He's a guitarist. Of, and he likes this kind of music. Well, okay. To an extent, he likes this kind of music. But he doesn't like the full solo version because it, it's too long and boring. But it's not. I just, I don't get it. I don't get About it. once every couple episodes, we have a moment like this where you tell me I'm just like, what? <laughs> this makes no sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the song has a, gr- the song has a great groove. Uh-huh. Sharona is a real person. Okay. That the singer was in love with. Okay. Um, he was way older than her. And, okay. And snaked her away from her boyfriend when he invited both of them to one of their concerts and then uh, actually was like dated and married to her for like 10 years. Okay. But then they broke up. Oh. That's sad. Yeah, but Sharona is a real person. Apparently Sharona was a very uncommon name and then afterwards everyone started naming their daughters Sharona. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. And she is the one on the cover of the single. Wow. Okay. So, a lot of times when people write songs about girls with their names, it's usually just a made-up name. Right. But Sharona was indeed a real person. And all those feelings were real. Although he was singing from the perspective of like a 14-year-old boy. Yeah. Because it's very adolescent. Mm -hmm. And very dirty. Yeah. Yep. Because my parents told me for a long time I wasn't allowed to listen to that song, and I never, and I didn't know why because I'd never heard it. There's mm-hmm. like, don't ever listen to my Sharona. Yeah, they, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, it's not, parodies I mean, of this song. My Bologna. Well, okay, some some that we won't mention on this podcast, but uh, hey, don't don't you talk smack about Weird Al? The man is genius in his own right. Well, but we don't need to repeat his phrasing. Okay, um, not in this one, not in this case. Uh, apparently, Ayatollah was a was one during the Iranian hostage crisis. <laughs> and then, of course, in modern day, we have my Corona. Yes, yes. I forgot about we that. We need to we need to put that on our on our band list and sing <laughs> my Corona. My Corona. Yeah, this is a uh, this is another instance of you know the whole drummer uh stereotype where they start drumming a song like guess the song and then they drum it mm-hmm. this is like the only song you could do that other than like painkiller <laughs> no there's there are many others there are no. oh my you goodness. could do you could do take the money and run 50 ways to leave your lover um okay for me like, about about a large handful of led zeppelin songs start off with a great drum fill 
<laughs> okay, yeah. But uh, I was in I was in the worship band for my school, and I, was, I did the djembe and stuff. And I, it was right after I learned how to like do the different sounds. And so I turned to the bass player, who's like a big Who fan and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I go like, hey, guess the song. And I play it. And he's like, you really just did the drummer stereotype. I'm like, yeah, I did. But what's the song? Goes my Sharona. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. I had to mention that because it was just... Oh, yeah. There's there's many iconic drum it just, openings it, it, out there. Yeah. Anyway. So, I think that go ahead and we can wrap that up there and we can just go into our final thoughts. Our final so, thoughts. So, fairly unfamiliar with Cheap Trick. Yes. I knew of I Want You to Want Me. Um, you knew that Surrender existed, but I not by them. I knew that Surrender, the hook of Surrender existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, after going through this process of listening to Budokan, what are your thoughts of them? They are characters. Especially, I learned a lot during this podcast. Mm-hmm. You talking about them, they are showmen, and I really respect that because it's it's one thing to make good music in the studio, that's okay, you know, like Boston, but if it doesn't translate live, you can't survive. One thing I did forget to bring up is the fact that they like are close to the record for the most live shows played by a band. Wow, I'd want to say they've played over three thousand shows. Wow. See, that's what I mean. It's and like that's just, that's what they're known for. They're known as a live band first right. and foremost. Yeah, and, and, and you can hear it. You can't even see them, and you know that they're focused on the show. Mm-hmm. And I really admire that. Um, Surrender is probably going to be a permanent part of my playlist now. Yeah. So is Ain't That a Shame. Oh, yeah, um, I keep forgetting to ask you every episode, what's, what's going on in your playlist? Yeah. Well, okay, but... You know, I need. To I can't to, say I need, definitively. I, sometimes I need a. I need. A, well, you can at least give me ideas. I need to remember to ask that because I think that's an interesting <laughs> but, thing to know. But those things are, are going to be permanent additions to the playlist that okay. I have. So, um, but overall, I'm not going to say that I'm ready to delve deep into them. Although I would definitely be ready to listen to like the full Heaven Tonight album or Dream Police or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, if I find myself with the free, like, hour to do work, I'll probably just put it on and listen to it. So, um, knowing kind of what to expect. Yeah. So anyway, I grew in appreciation from essentially what was zero to they're great showmen. I can't wait for more, so. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I... Um, I always knew who Cheap Trick was. They um, Surrender was the first song on the first Guitar Hero game that I ever played. And so I knew them pretty... But that, for the longest time, that was the only song I knew of theirs. Mm. And then I found out about I Want You to Want Me just from the radio. Mm-hmm. But I knew very little about them. I knew that they were a big deal and that they are very well respected. But I could only name like two or three songs of theirs. So this was kind of a bit of a different experience of me of just kind of really getting into, and it's the reason why I chose them mm-hmm. is because I wanted to pick a band that I wasn't very familiar with mm-hmm. and just kind of learn a lot, and I did, and I really love Cheap Trick now. I I, I, I understand why they're important, um, and I've found a lot of Cheap Trick songs that I'd never heard before that I really love now. Mm-hmm. So... 
Um, that's always a, a fun thing to do. Yeah. yeah. So that does it for this episode. Yep. Thank you so much, guys, for listening, for making it all the way through here. Um, we're going to be back next week. We're going back to uh, heavy metal yes. with our next band and with one of my all-time favorites, mm-hmm. a band that could fit that top five rotation, but they just quite almost missed out on being a, a pillar. <laughs> um, but it's a it's going to be a long episode, I already know, because I'm going to have a lot to say. Because <laughs> the songs are long. Yeah. But, uh... Um... And then we'll have another cover song ready as well on our YouTube channel, so go check those out. We're going to continue to get episodes on YouTube as well, so be on the lookout for us to just randomly start uploading old episodes on there as well. Mm-hmm. And um, make sure to hit the subscribe button, whatever platform you're listening on. Share with whoever you think might be interested in learning about Cheap Trick or just the good music podcast in general. Go check out all of our older episodes. We're coming up on uh a year now i want to i'm trying to extrapolate i'm gonna, i mean 52 episodes right not necessarily because there's okay. a there's a break at the end there, of the year. that's right there's a break um, um for, the, for the holidays i'm trying to think of when this will be coming out this actually this is a couple days after our first birthday because wow. so our first episode came out june 20th last year and this will come out the 22nd wow I should have put that at the beginning of the episode. I'll, I'll make another <laughs> statement about it next episode and make a big to-do about it. Yeah. Because that's a big deal, uh, one year of doing this. It's so. crazy. Mm-hmm. It's not been a year for you yet, but it's been a year no, for me. No, it hasn't. Um, I'm, we're still a ways away for it being a year for me. Yeah, that'll be the beginning of next year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just continue to continue to tune in. Check out all of our episodes that we've put out. And um, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and on Patreon if you want to get your uh, your hands on that exclusive content. Uh, then go become a patron. We're gonna give you guys a shout out if you do. And uh, that's it for right now. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. We'll see you next time.